All right, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 25. Pray for Kenneth and Shelley tonight. They're taking a few days off, and uh, while they're traveling, remember them in prayer. Pray for Brother Nick. He's teaching the, the teenagers tonight, and so uh, remember him in prayer also. Proverbs chapter 25. We get started on a brand new chapter of Proverbs. And we'll take it just, uh, just a little section at a time. Looking at this chapter, there's a brief introduction that I'll read in just a minute and comment on. And then we'll actually start in verse number two. But looking at the entire chapter, and I've spent considerable amount of time doing that, it's divided, I think, into two very unequal parts. In, in verses 2 down through verse 7, the material that we'll cover tonight, uh, the theme there has to do with rulers. But picking up in verse 8 on through the rest of the chapter, it deals with relationships. Rulers and relationships. And we're going to talk about the rulers tonight, and then we'll go through the remainder of the chapter verse by verse as we think about the matter of relationships. But uh, I, I think here in just a minute, maybe you understand why these two themes come to the forefront in this chapter. Verse 1 says, These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Now keep in mind, that does not rule out the Lord being the author of the Scriptures. Keep in mind that it was the Lord that, uh, through His inspiration, that led Solomon to write these things. And uh, Hezekiah, of course, it says here that the men of Hezekiah copied these out. Now remember, this is referring to a time about 300 years after Solomon's death. This is when Hezekiah reigned as the king. And uh, by the way, that's an interesting study. If you've never taken time to, uh, to study what happened during his reign, you probably need to do that. Uh, but it's telling us here that we're entering into a new section of the Proverbs. This one verse is something, something different, something new. And uh, he's pointing that out. Now, remember, Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. And these are some that were copied out by Hezekiah's counselors, or, or we might call them his scholars, his men. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe they were among some of his favorites, uh, whatever. But, but keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is the one that is uh, behind the scenes operating all of this. But there's another thing, I think, that uh, contributed to this and, and thus my reference to the, to the two themes. And that is, it might have been that these were selected. Now, I can't prove what I'm about to say, but it just fits. It might be that these were selected, copied out by the men of Hezekiah, uh, back during the time of the Reformation that took place in the days of Hezekiah. And this was an aid to that. Uh, there was some reason that out of the 3,000 that they, they copied out 
these and uh, and uh, and I can only think of that being a part of it uh, by way of giving the nation instruction during that very crucial time during the reign of Hezekiah. Uh, I, I look at this and I think, well, this is so amazing that after all of these centuries have passed by, here we are, 2017, sitting here in an air-conditioned building on padded seats, uh, you know, with, with all of the fine things of life, and we're still looking at the same Proverbs that, that Solomon wrote, the same Proverbs that that I think was a part of the motivation for the, the, uh, or the means even to bring about the Reformation in Hezekiah's day. So we are still gleaning profit uh, uh, from, from the very things they were reading back then. And that just shows us how timeless the Word of God is. Somebody says, well, you know, times have changed. This is not the same world that it used to be. Well, no, it's not. But truth is truth regardless of what generation. And these things are just as true today as they were back then. And, uh, and, and, and no doubt this was for the welfare of the kingdom. Don't, don't forget that. Solomon was reigning when he wrote these. This is for the welfare of the kingdom. And I think that's why the subject matter relates to rulers and then to relationships. So let's begin in verse number two, and we're going to talk about the uh, the rulers tonight. And we're going down through verse seven, and we're going to stop there, regardless of what time it is. But here, beginning in verse two, uh, regarding the rulers, there are three things that he points out. And I'll mention these three things, and then. We'll go back and, and read the appropriate verses. He speaks about the need for understanding. He speaks about the need for separation. Uh, and by separation, I mean coming out from the, the filthy things of the world, the sinful things of the world. And then he speaks in verse 6 and 7 about humility. So let's go back to verse number 2 and 3 where he talks about the matter of understanding. And here... You'll notice there's a contrast here between God and the kings of the earth. And so he's about to speak about the glory of, of each one and how they are opposite. Verse 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. Boy, is that ever true. All of us have scratched our head and we've asked that question, why? You know, why, why, would, why would God allow... Something bad happened to somebody that's good. I like what one old preacher said many years ago. He said, well, that, that's easy. He said, you know, he said, that's because none of us are good. And a lot of times we lose sight of that. We keep thinking we deserve something when we don't. But make no mistake about it, God doesn't make any mistakes. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation mark there. He says, How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Is that, is that ever true? You, you just, you absolutely just cannot figure out why God does what he does, unless he tells you, of course, through his word. 
But think about it. What glory could there possibly be with God if we could comprehend all of His ways and understand everything about Him? That, that, look, that would be raising us up to His level or bringing Him down to our level. If we, if we could understand everything just like, you know, God... And, and, you know, somebody said, well, I, you know, I, I, I've got a question. I don't understand why God does this or that. And, you know, if we were smart enough to say, oh, yeah, that's easy. No, we can't. We do not understand the ways of God. We can't even begin to comprehend his ways and his works, uh, his operations in this world uh, is beyond our understanding. So it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. And again, I want to repeat we we would we would be robbing God of His glory if we understood everything God understood because there would be no glory for God if we're all on a uh, equal level with God, right? Does that make sense? So it's the glory of God to conceal the thing. But notice, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now God doesn't have to search out anything because God already knows everything. But unlike God, who knows all, the kings have to search for answers to the mysteries of life. And, uh, you know, if he's going to rule wisely, that's what he has to do. If he's going to rule righteously, if he's going to execute justice in the land, then he has to investigate matters. He he, he just can't take a wild guess at it, and he, he doesn't know all of the facts and think about it. Put yourself, you know, in the place of being the king over the land, or in our case, uh, a president, <laughs> if, if you dare wish for that position. Uh, but think about yourself being in a, in a position of authority over a nation, and you can just well imagine how others would second-guess absolutely everything you do. And you know you've got to make important decisions. You've got to, you know, you've got to exercise uh, judgment and so forth. And, and you better get all of the facts together. And so he's telling us here, unlike God who doesn't have to investigate, the kings have to investigate. They have to search out a matter. I think that's interesting in the sense that anytime you're doing an investigation, you're, you're automatically involving others. So it goes without saying that the king has to be very careful about the source of his information. Somebody can't make an accusation, you know, against his neighbor and say, well, I'll tell you what he did to me and, uh, and I'm going to tell the king. Uh, you know, I, I met the king one time. You know, I, I, he, he, knows, he knows me by my name, uh, and we went to different schools together. <laughs> I'll let you figure that out. That, that's from the hills, but anyway. And uh, so I'm going to tell him. And so he goes and he tells the king, you know, so-and-so really mistreated me. The king just can't jump to conclusions, and he can't take his word for it. He's got to do a, an investigation I make mention of all of this because we've got to be so very careful about the source of our information, whether we are a king or whoever we are. 
we all have to make certain decisions that affect not only our lives, but decisions that affect the lives of other people. And we've got to be careful about the source of our information. Now, that ought to be important to us because we live in a day where most people are spoon-fed what information the four major networks want them to get. And I'm telling you, everybody else is not like you. They don't do any investigation. They, a lot of them don't know anything at all about history. They just turn on the news, and whatever they hear on the news, that's what they believe. And, and, and anybody surely realizes that there has been a conspiracy going on for years and years and years against the conservatives, against the Christians. Uh, I mean, and, and they haven't let up, by the way. Be careful about the source of your information before you start making judgments. So it's the glory of God to conceal the thing, but the king has to do some investigation. Verse 3, the heaven for height. Now, he's about to give us three examples of things that we can't comprehend. And he says, the heaven for height, the earth for depth, and the heart of kings is unsearchable. Now, whenever I read that, and I was sitting there this morning and reading that, and I thought to myself, you know, no doubt somebody is going to think, they might not say it, but somebody's going to be sitting there listening to me, and they're going to think, of what practical value is this to us? What difference does this make to me? How does it impact me? Well, I think the answer is obvious, and that is that we have to be careful about making judgments, making decisions, judging the actions of somebody that's in a position of authority. He's saying you can understand the height of heaven or the depth of earth, notice, or the heart of the king. It is unsearchable. And, and, and when he makes a decision, it's, might be, there might be more to it than what meets the eye. Now, understand, I'm not just talking about kings and presidents. I'm talking about anybody in a position of authority. If you're a foreman on a job, a superintendent on a job, if you're a sergeant in the army, whatever the case might be, you're in a position of authority. I, I, I want to tell you, you're going to be second-guessed and criticized more than anybody else. That just goes with a position of leadership. By virtue of your position, uh, there are going to be people that are going to second-guess you. And remember, just as we learned about the king, they don't know everything. He has to investigate. He has to inquire. He has to come to conclusions and make judgments. And they don't always, the person in authority, doesn't always have the time, the ability, or the liberty to explain everything they do. And there's so many people, you know, that uh, they want an explanation for everything. The boss says, okay, I want you to go over here and do that work over there for a while. Well, why? It doesn't make any difference why. I'm, I'm the boss. You're the hired hand. You go do it. I, you, you know, if, if a person's in a position of leadership, they shouldn't have to explain absolutely everything that goes on unless it's something that's obviously unscriptural and that's... Uh, well, that's a whole nother subject altogether. So 
think twice before you criticize those that are in authority, because by the way, that's an extremely serious matter. And God, from the very beginning to this very day, has always have had a line of authority, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in society. Uh, you know, there's the government that God himself has ordained. And we've got to be careful about sitting in judgment of those in a position of authority because sometimes it might, for example, be a matter of national security. And so somebody comes along and says, you know, I'm going, I, I'm going, to, I, 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 I'm going to file charges or whatever because I, I don't like the way things are being conducted and so forth. And there are a lot of times, even the government folks can't tell you and I everything they know and everything they do because it's a matter of national security. I just want them to protect the people of this nation. I don't need to know, you know, whether there's an Area 51 out there and what they're doing there and, and the, the government secrets and what have you. Now, don't misunderstand that. I don't mean that I'm thinking that we ought to just give the government free reign to misuse their authority and abuse the people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we need to be very careful about talking th about things that we don't know anything about. And, 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 and a lot of times they don't owe us an explanation. And I think if we're wise, we'll take that into consideration. And, you know, there was a time where, uh, where we respected the office. And, and there's something to be said for that, respecting the office. Even though we might not agree with everything that a, that a leader does, there needs to be a measure of respect for the office. And I can tell you that even though there are some of our past presidents I have absolutely do not agree with, did not agree with, or whatever, but I'm telling you, if they walked in the door, I would treat them with respect and the dignity that their office deserves, whether they do or not. And that's important because it's important for one thing, because we're sending a message to our kids and they, they, they need to have respect for authority. You know, you bring this down to the family level, and I can tell you right now, and I've seen so many examples of this, where maybe the, the children were rebellious and the mother couldn't understand why, and, and anybody that was familiar with the situation would know why, because she has an attitude of rebellion against the husband. Those kids see her attitude of rebellion against their daddy, and so they, they pick up on the idea, well, if she can do it to daddy, I can do it to her. You reap what you sow, I'm telling you. And, and that's why we've got to be so very careful about criticizing one another because we don't have all of the facts. And even if we do, we're not always at liberty to divulge all the information that we have. Now, understanding, that's what that's all about. Now he comes to the second thing here that's involved in regards to the, uh, to the ruler and, uh, and what needs to be done, and that's this matter of separation. I, I could use several different words, but I, I use that word because of the way that it's illustrated in verse 4. Take away the dross, that is the impurities, from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. 
Now, that's something that everybody could understand, especially in that day, because they had seen the refiner at work. I mean, that was a common thing. You go into any of the, in, in any of the cities, you know, and just like it was, you know, back in the days of the Wild West here, everybody knew who the blacksmith was. You know, they'd, they saw the blacksmith at work. Well, back in those days, it was common to see someone that was skilled in the trade of being a refiner or a carpenter or whatever it was. So Solomon didn't have to explain to anybody, this is what I meant. He says, take away the dross from the silver. Get the impurities out. Notice, and, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. And uh, I mean, you can see his reasoning. Now, keep this in connection with what we've been talking about. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. This brings us back to the matter of the nation and national security and the leader, the person that is in charge here. And so this is the application for what we just said in verse 4 about taking the dross out. So he makes that statement, and then he makes the application, gives us an explanation of what he's talking about here. And so just as the dross has to be removed from the silver, a nation is made better, it's made stronger as a result of sin being purged from it. That's why it says in chapter number 14, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And sin's like a cancer. It's invasive. I mean, it just eats away at the vitals of a nation. Now, go back to where I started uh, talking about Hezekiah and the Reformation that took place under him. And now you can see how all of this, at least in my mind, relates to that. You see the importance of those people having respect for him as the king and following his leadership and so forth, and the importance of that nation being purged of sin. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. And so sin is something that we cannot ignore, whether we're talking about the sin in regards to the nation or whether we're talking about a church, whether we're talking about a family, or individuals. And when we refuse to deal with it, God takes over and God deals with it. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 is all about. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, if, if, if I believe what you Baptists believe, I just sin all I want to. And I usually say, if I hear that, I say, well, we sin all we want to and more. You know, it's not that we want to sin, but we admittedly, we do at times. And, and they think, well, you know, yeah, but if you can't lose your salvation, that means you can get by with it. No, you can't get by with it. Because he says there in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son that he receives. In, in other words, when we don't deal with the sin, God deals with the sinner. And, and, and we're all better off if, if there is, you know, if you just had to, to put a label on all of our problems as a nation, it would just be that little three-letter word, sin. That's it. Now, it takes many different forms, but that is the very thing that threatens our national security, the thing that hinders God from pouring out His blessings to a greater extent. So a nation, the people of a nation... 
need understanding. And, and in addition to that, they need to separate themselves from those things that are sinful. Now we come to verse number six and seven. And this is the third thing that I mentioned, and that's humility. Verse number six, he says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. There's a great need for this lesson to be learned today. Uh, You know, back in ancient times, at least in some kingdoms, it was a crime punishable by death to enter into the presence of a king without an invitation. You didn't just barge in. Oh, I'm going by the palace to think of drop in and see what the king's doing today. No, you, you, that, that was not, not allowed. There had to be respect for the office of a king. And, and he, he's letting us know here that, uh, that it's important that we show that kind of respect. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king. Stand not in the place of great men. You know, that's exactly what Jesus taught. Let me turn over to Luke 14 for just a moment. And, and of course, there are many other scriptures we could read that relates to this. But, uh, I mean, this is just uh, basically line by line the same thing that Jesus taught In Luke 14, I think beginning about verse number 7, he put forth this parable to those that were bidden when he marked how that they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him uh, come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. And he says, But when thou art bidden, go and sit down, notice, in the lowest room. Now, there's a lot I I could say about that, and I won't take time to do with it. And by the way, it's dealt with in other places that we are not to exalt ourselves, push ourselves to the forefront, put ourselves in the best possible light, strive to be noticed, claim greatness that we certainly don't possess. Absolutely nothing could be more unchristlike than pride. Of all of the sins that we commit, that is the most unchristlike thing that we can do. Uh, one of my favorite sections of Scripture pertaining to this is over in Philippians chapter number 2. And he speaks there about the Lord and makes the application to us and how we ought to conduct ourselves. In fact, he tells us we are, are to have the mind of Christ. We are to think as he did, do as he did. And in verse number, verse number three, he says, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves." You you don't see much of that going on in the world today, do you? Because we want to we want to make ourselves look better than others, and he says we've got it backwards. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, starting here, uh, probably ten years ago, I preached an entire series of messages 
on these next few verses, eight or ten messages. And notice what it says. Speaking of Christ, that He made of Himself no reputation, that He took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Now, the point is, the way up is down. And there's so many times that we fail because, you know, we want to start out at the top. And we don't realize that you descend into greatness. You don't ascend into greatness. The way up is down. And when we humble ourselves, the Lord is the one that exalts us. If we try to exalt ourselves, and that's exactly what a lot of folks do, make themselves appear like they're, you know, greater and better than, than other people. Uh, we do ourselves a horrible injustice. Number one, it creates conflict. We'll talk about that in another message in regards to this chapter. But it creates conflict. In fact, the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. You get rid of the pride, you never have any contention. Wouldn't that be great? Take all the contention out of the church, all the contention out of the family. Well, it's it, look, it happens because of pride. It creates conflict. It provokes antagonism. You, you, you know, just about the about the worst thing you can do is to try to belittle someone in an effort to make yourself look good. In, in prison, that's about the worst thing you can do is they say, you know, if you diss someone, you disrespect them. And, and you know, they, look, they, they might be a cutthroat murderer. They might have killed their mother-in-law. I don't know. But whenever they get in prison, they expect, they expect to be... Uh, respected by everybody and that's an unwritten rule that you that you show respect because if you don't you're going to pay for it you, you know and whenever we lose that 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 spirit of humility boy we're just asking for trouble because it has a way of antagonizing other people it brings out the worst in other people now verse 7 and we're through for tonight for better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Well, that's exactly what we read a few minutes ago where Jesus was speaking there. He's saying the same thing, you know. You're invited to a feast or a wedding, as it was in that case. You don't just take your seat, you know, in the highest room in the place that is reserved for the dignitaries and what have you. You take your seat, you know, in the lowest place uh, and uh, you think more of the others than yourself. Now, in the remainder of this chapter, Solomon is going to speak about relationships. And, and I can't think of any way, a better way to begin a study on relationships than to start this next theme where this theme ends, which has to do with a discussion and a warning about pride. Let me read verse 8, because this is where we'll pick up next week. Go not forth hastily 
to strive. In other words, don't be in a hurry to get in a fight. Don't be in a hurry to get in an argument or a debate. Lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. So you can see how this thought of pride carries right on over. And we're going to transition now from the things related to the ruler and what is needed in his kingdom to the relationship that is the relationship between the subjects of the kingdom. And so I, I hope you'll stick with us through this study and I hope there'll be some things that, that, that are indeed of practical value that we can apply to our everyday life that'll make us better men and women, uh, help us in the family, in the workplace, or wherever we might be. All right, anybody have a comment, question?